background. It's always important to establish. You see, God is good. God is loving. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is living. God is present. And yet, and yet, there is a grim reality, isn't there? All those, all those things are true, and I believe in them wholeheartedly, and I believe that, um, that we should celebrate them, we should be reminded of them, but there is, there is a, a, a but. And it's been illustrated quite graphically, unfortunately, in the past couple of days. Um, yesterday afternoon I had the privilege, it was a real privilege, of going to um, the 50th anniversary of the Girls' Brigade um, up at Perry Street. It was a, it was a fantastic afternoon. Um, I, I went with my, my parents. <coughs> my mum used to be an officer in the Girls' Brigade and so she, she came along. She, it was quite nostalgic for her and for a lot of people who, who met old friends and, and reminisced and it was a really lovely afternoon. It was, it was brilliant. It was a great celebration of, of what God's done in the lives of so many um, girls and, and now ladies who, who have gone through the Girls' Brigade. It was brilliant. A great time of testimony and lovely. Absolutely lovely. But then I got home and I like, to just, I like to check the headlines at least once a day, see what's going on in the, on in the world. And I read of the 17-year-old girl who had been stabbed to death in Harold, Harold Wood, I think it was, um, just a few miles from here um, on Friday evening. And I read how neighbours had described hearing screams and hearing her crying out and... They hadn't done anything. And I was talking to someone last night and they said, oh, I can't believe they, they heard it. They didn't do anything. What sort of people are these? And yet, that same evening, Joe and I had been sitting at home and we'd heard a high-pitched scuffle outside and we said, oh, it's just foxes. Now, it was just um, foxes, cats. It was some sort of animal. There wasn't anything on our street going on, but it made me think, how often, how often do we not react because we think we know what's going on? So we shouldn't, we shouldn't throw stones at those neighbours. We should instead just consider what we, we probably would have done the same thing in their situation. But of course there's, there's a family, of, family not far from here who are, who are suffering the loss, a loss of a young life in tragic circumstances. And so I was, I was wrestling with this last night because, because it's good to come here this morning and to celebrate God and to, to focus on all the good things, but there is that grim reality of the world in which we live. But you see, this is where Scripture comes into its own. Because Scripture, it's not propaganda. Scripture isn't written with a complete disregard for all the bad things that go on in the world. It is not God's propaganda, God's little book of propaganda that he, that he, that he gave us to, to try and brainwash us into thinking that everything's fine. Scripture confronts that reality. That's why we should always turn to Scripture. That's why Scripture should be the bedrock of our lives. As I mentioned earlier, this morning we're going to be looking at the book of uh, Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Now this is one of Paul's prison letters. I've never been in prison. It's a good thing, I hope. And I hope I never will. But I don't imagine prison is a particularly pleasant experience. I don't imagine, even though I know that um, it's, a, it's a more comfortable place to be than, than it, it used to be, and you, know, you read these reports of pool tables and, and consoles and um, libraries and 
privileges that, that prisoners get and it's all an attempt to try and rehabilitate them and try and rebuild their lives and give them a chance to, to go on to better things. But I still don't imagine that prison is a very nice place to be. To have your freedom taken away, to, to, have, to have to live in a, in a cell. I don't imagine that is particularly pleasant. But what I am pretty sure about is that it's a lot more pleasant than it was when Paul picked up his pen and wrote this letter to the Philippians. I'm no expert on what church was like in the, in the first century. Sorry, what prison was like in the first century. But it was grim. We can be sure of that. Paul was a prisoner. He writes a letter to the church in Philippi. But the amazing thing about this is that despite the reality of Paul's situation, despite the fact that he is in chains, that he hasn't got his freedom, that there's actually, um, he, he was actually waiting for sentence to be passed. And that sentence was a death sentence. Was he going to be put to death or not? There's this uncertainty. He didn't know what was going on. He was waiting for his, his case to be heard. He could have been put to death at any moment. This is, this is the, the reality that Paul was living in. And yet, he writes a letter that is so full of enthusiasm and excitement, a letter that is so motivating and uplifting that you think, wow, I wish I could have been with Paul when he wrote that. He must have been, he must have been on one. He must have been on a spiritual high. He's pouring himself out into this. He's, he's raring to go. And yet, actually, he's in a prison cell. I love it when Paul writes, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul has lived a life of, it's, it's, it's a unique life. Well, every life's unique in a way, but, but Paul, we know that he used to persecute Christians. We know that, that at first he was, he, was, he was present at the stoning of Stephen. We know that he actively went to, to imprison and possibly even, he might even have murdered Christians at his own hand. Paul was not a particularly nice piece of work. And yet, on the road to Damascus, when he's going there, he's got arrest warrants for, for, for Christians to take him and, and imprison them, potentially have them put to death. That's what he was going there for. And on the road to Damascus, there's suddenly this, this light that shines down, that blinds him. He hears the voice of God calling out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he's blinded for, and for three days. He, he's, he's got scales over his eyes. He cannot see. He's blind. He has to be led by the hand. But in that time, he, he realises that he's in the wrong. And suddenly he goes from being a persecutor to being an evangelist. And he's such a, such a strong evangelist, so determined, so passionate in the way that he, that he wants to spread the gospel that he goes, to the, he goes to the grim reality. He goes to the places where he knows he's going to face opposition. He regularly went to towns, went into the synagogue and preached a message which in effect was saying, you're wrong and I've got the right way to offer you. And at times he, he stirred up crowds and people, people wanted to, to kill him. People wanted to kill him. He became a public nuisance and eventually he found, finds himself in prison. He says, what I, want, I want you to know, brothers, 
what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You think that's a slightly odd thing to say. He's in prison. How can that be advancing the gospel? We, we, kind of, we, we, we seem to think that to advance something, to spread something, you, we sort of have this image of the, the ripples in a mill pond, don't we? Kind of you think, well, it starts in the centre and then a movement gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And Paul's suddenly been confined. So how could it be advancing the gospel? He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul's saying, because I'm in here, the whole palace guard, so there are guards, their job is to stand with me. They're guarding me. They have to be there. Brilliant. We'll talk about a captive audience. This is fantastic. So I'm just telling them about the gospel. I'm just spreading it. And of course, when one shift finishes, those guys go, I'll get a whole new congregation suddenly. He must have been a nightmare <laughs> as a prisoner. I bet the palace guards, oh, do I have to go and guard him? Can't we just, can't we just double bolt his door? Can't we just put extra chains around him? Do we have to go and go, oh, no, not that again. But you see, he, he sees it as an opportunity. He sees it as this brilliant opportunity. I, um, I heard a story not long ago, and I haven't been able to corroborate this, but um, it's a great story, so I'll use it anyway. Um, there was a, a, a minister who was called to a church um, on a council estate um, in the northwest. I, um, I think it was in the Liverpool area, and it was a pretty grim place to be. It wasn't pleasant. And um, he went there, the church was tiny. Um, and windows were smashed and it was, it, was, it was unpleasant. He got mugged after a couple of weeks and um, the, the, the house he was living in was on the council estate. There were drug users um, that would sort of be found unconscious in his front garden on a regular basis. It wasn't a pleasant place to be. And uh, he spoke to his regional minister and said, look, I just don't feel comfortable here. I don't feel this is the right place for me. And the regional minister spoke to him and said, right, okay, well, look, let's just pray this through. Let's go back to the calling and let's pray it through and, and let's meet again in the month's time. And so uh, the following month they met again and the regional minister said, right, how, you know, how, how are you feeling? And the guy said, well, I think God wants me to stay. And the regional minister said, oh, wow, that's fantastic news. What, 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 what got you to this decision? And the minister said, well... Last, last, uh, last Saturday, I spent all day praying. I was on my knees. I was calling out to God to give me a sign to let me know whether I should stay or whether I should leave. Right? Well, what happened? On Saturday night, my car was nicked, so I couldn't leave. So I'm staying. <laughs> now, as I say, I haven't been able to corroborate that, but the fact is that he took a negative situation and he saw an opportunity in it, just like Paul. I'm in prison. These guys have to stand here and guard me. I can advance the gospel. I can, I can introduce people to Christ because they have to be here. They can't walk away. Paul rejoices. There's a theme of rejoicing throughout the letter to the Philippians. He says, I'll continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. To me, 
To live is Christ and to die is gain. Those words, those awesome words. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, look, don't be downheartened. We've got to remember that Paul was sort of the, the poster boy for the, for the early church. This was a fledgling church that he was writing to. They could have been really downcast. Suddenly the, the, the guy that planted this church, the one that drove this movement, is in prison and potentially going to get killed. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What, mate, what, what he was saying, was that, was that true? Where is God? What's going on? Why isn't Paul being protected? Why isn't he being released? So Paul says here, for me, to, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, look guys, I'm in prison. Yes, I've got a death sentence hanging over me. We're, we're not sure what, which way the verdict's going to go. But, but do not be downhearted because to live, for me, is Christ. To live means that I, I go on doing the work of an evangelist. I keep going and going and going, planting churches, spreading the gospel, reaching out to people, changing lives by introducing them to Jesus. That is life. That's what my life will be. But, but to die is gain. Because if they kill me, my, my future is secure. I know where I'm going. I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in, the, in, the, in the palace of God. That's where I'm going. So don't worry about me. This is a win-win situation. Paul's writing all this while he's in prison. While he's going through unbearable turmoil. When he's in grim conditions. It would have been physically and emotionally and spiritually draining. Psychologically damaging. It would have been a horrible experience. But he chooses to focus on the eternal promise of Christ. So you see, we do live in a world where there is a grim reality all around us. There are these bad things happening. There, there are these, these, these terrible, cruel stories. And too often we read about teenagers getting stabbed, losing life. You know, the gang culture which, which, is, which is still growing. These, the, the, the county lines drug organisations that target whole communities because they see that they're vulnerable. That they, 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 they enrol children to, to run drugs and to carry out some pretty atrocious crimes to ensure their business thrives. You know, there is so much evil in the world, but, but, are we going to be navel-gazing? Are we going to be downcast and downheartened or are we going to hold fast to the promise of Christ? Are we going to have that attitude that says, for me, to live is Christ. My life is going to be telling people about Jesus. My life is going to be sharing the gospel. My life is going to be reflecting the glory of my Saviour as best as I can in all that I do. That is life to me. I will change the world in whatever little way I can. And if it costs me my life, to die is gain. It's a win-win situation. You see, this is the good news of the Gospel. There it is, right there. There is no downside if we choose to live our lives with that attitude. It's all about our attitude. Now, of course, that attitude is counter-cultural. That attitude doesn't, it doesn't encourage us to, um, to live according to the world. But we're not called to live according to the world. We're called to live according to to God's instructions. 
the teachings of Christ and the promptings of the Holy Spirit within us. Each and every one of us can make a difference. We, we can change the world. I'm not talking on a, on a massive global scale, but we can change the world of the people that we meet. We can give them a good experience of meeting us. We can be generous, we can be kind, we can be hospitable. And we can let them know that our motivation for being those things is Christ. For us to live is Christ. Later on in Paul's letter, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. This this theme of rejoicing. He's rejoicing from a prison cell. I spoke to someone this week who's going through a very difficult time. And as we spoke, I realised that everything was negative. And so I said, look, let's just stop. Let's just start listing the positives in life. The, The most basic blessings... And we just went through and just started writing a list. And I, I, I did one and this person did one. And afterwards, the conversation was, whereas before it had been getting more and more and more negative, suddenly it began getting more and more positive. Because we have so many blessings from God, so many things that we take for granted. Rejoice in the Lord always, whatever we're going through. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. Now he's writing to the the church in Philippi, which um, Philippi was full, uh, before the church was planted, it was very much a pagan city. And there were loads and loads of pagan gods. Um, And apparently this meant that actually Philippi, it it was like a party capital. There was just always some sort of a celebration going on. It must have been quite a fun place to live, although, although it was also a city plagued by anxiety because these pagan festivals and rituals that you had to keep, if you missed one, if you didn't, um, if you didn't make a sacrifice at the right time or if you, if, you, if you forgot a certain celebration, if something wasn't done, then there were repercussions. The pagan gods weren't gods who were particularly forgiving. You know, grace is not a, a word that was used in pagan circles. And so it was quite an anxious, an, anxious way to, uh, an anxious way to live life, to be a pagan. And so when Paul writes to the church, he says, don't be anxious about anything. God's got you covered. And you know what? God is a God of forgiveness. So when you forget things, when you screw up, when you make your mistakes, when you lose your temper, so long as you're repentant, as long as you're truly repentant and identify what you've done wrong and then, and then work hard to address it, as long as you come before God with an open heart, an honest heart, God is a God of forgiveness. So don't be anxious. Don't live in fear of God. Instead, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the relationship, isn't it? This is the, don't live in fear of God. 
Don't beat, beat yourselves up every time you get something wrong because you will get things wrong because the, the standard that we strive to achieve is perfection. It's an unachievable standard. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try and get there. It means that God is constantly watching and is constantly pleased every time that we, that we make a step in the right direction. He's there to encourage, to welcome I don't know if any of you have ever um, grown cacti at all. I only asked that because when I was growing up, my dad always used to grow cacti and he had a greenhouse at the end of the garden. And in the winter, he used to line it with bubble wrap and have a paraffin heater and keep it hot. Probably terrible for the environment, but um, he used to, he used to grow these, these, these plants. And in the summer, when it was really hot, when it's really hot, he used to water them. And I remember watching him water them because I was always amazed. This, he'd just give them a few drops of water. It barely turned the soil from, um, in, from, from its dusty state into a more moist state. You think, Dad, what's the point? The water's going to dry out before the plant can, can, can take any. But you see, those plants, they were designed to live in a harsh environment. They're designed to live... In, in the sort of conditions where they don't, have, they don't have much moisture. And so if you overwater them, they just rot. They can't cope with it. They've also got these massive spikes on to protect them from being eaten by things. They're designed to thrive in a harsh environment. They're designed to live at high altitude, where the air is thin, where there's, there's hardly any water, and yet, and yet they flourish, they flower, they're beautiful. They're designed to thrive in a harsh environment. Now, some of us are designed to thrive in a harsh environment. It doesn't mean that we enjoy it. It doesn't mean it's what we choose. It doesn't mean that that's the life that we want. But we have all been designed by God. We have all been put together perfectly by him. We have all had a, had a path set out before us. A path to follow, a journey. And it's not a path that's going to go from, from one bit of fun to another bit of fun to another bit of fun. It's not from party to party to party. Sometimes it's a path that takes us through pretty unpleasant conditions. But you are designed to thrive in a harsh environment. Sometimes you think, just like those cacti, you think, I just want to, I don't understand why just a few drops of water. The plant must be on the verge of shriveling up. It's so hot and it's so dry and dusty. Why not, why not, you know, show it some love, give it a whole can of water? But no, because too much of a good thing will kill it. You see, my dad knew exactly what he was doing. He was, he was very, very good at, at keeping these things just, at just the right conditions to allow them to thrive. God knows exactly what he's doing. Sometimes we'll think, oh, God, I'm, I'm struggling here. Just give me some, give me some good news, please. I, I, need, I need something to pin my hopes on. I need something. But God knows what's best for us. And he's already done what's best for us. You see, that's when we need to have this attitude for us to live is Christ, to die is gain. The, the Christian life, it has no downside. It has no downside if we, achieve, if we choose to adopt that attitude, the attitude that got Paul through this, this 
manky, cold, drafty, miserable, dark, grim prison cell. The attitude that enables him to write a letter from that cell saying, rejoice, don't worry what happens to me, I'm, I'm, I'm in a great position. Live his Christ, die his gain. There's no, bad, there's no downside, it's all good. Rejoice in everything, be thankful, enjoy life, relax. That reflects Christ in all you do. Reflect his goodness and his glory. Whatever is true, in chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whether you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. All good things come from God. Every good thing around us comes from God. So whatever we see in life, whatever gives us joy in life, whatever we, we, can, we can cling to when those times get hard, whatever represents in our lives those few drops of water that is just enough to sustain us and keep us going in, we're in the harsh environment in which we live, whatever it is that, that, that helps us to maintain our faith when we open a newspaper and read about another teenage stabbing in London just a few miles from where we live, Whatever it is that sustains us when we, when we read the headlines of world leaders who seem intent on, on their own agenda rather than doing what's truly the best for the people who have elected them. Whatever it is that sustains us when we receive bad news about the health of a loved one. When we get taken into the office and told that there's no longer a job for us. When we hear in our own church of children and young people who are struggling with stress and anxiety to the point of self-harm. Whenever we hear these things, what do we cling to? We cling to scripture. We cling to these words. We cling to the fact that the motivation for a Christian life is that to live is Christ, to die is gain. So until death calls us, until God calls us home, whatever the circumstances of that, whatever time that may be, we live for Christ. We live in Christ. We reach out into our community when we see our neighbours, we drop in something about church. We share the name of Jesus. We, we, we can make the name of Jesus respectable. So often it's used in a, in a derogatory manner. We've all heard it, we all hear it many times. Just casually, the name of Jesus used incorrectly, insultingly. But we can change that. We can, we can drop the name of Jesus into conversation. It shocks people, it surprises people. It's, it's, become, it's become a controversial name in a supposedly Christian country, but we can change. We can change that. We can change uh, people's, people's perception of church. 
We can talk about the good things that the church is doing. We can talk about the fact that we just celebrated 50 years of the Girls' Brigade. There's many people out there who won't have even heard of the Girls' Brigade or the Boys' Brigade. Talk about it. Tell them what they do. There are so many teenagers out there who, who would benefit from brigades. Tell them about the work that goes on at sunny days and the fantastic efforts of, of a team of volunteers every week to help the elderly in our, in our community. Tell them about all the good things that go on in church. Tell them about the mission organisations that we support. If you're not sure who they are, then next time you're up at Perry Street, look at the back of the church. There's a massive big, um, big notice board with all these different individuals and organisations on. It's fantastic. And we support those. We enable them to happen. We should celebrate it. There is so much to celebrate in the name of Jesus. Celebrate the good news. Spread the good news. Tell people the difference that this church makes in this community and in the world as a whole. You know, there are kids in other countries who are benefiting because of the work this church has done. There is good news. There is good news for us to share. Why? Because the church, this church, has had an attitude for so long, far longer than I've been around, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. So we're going to work tirelessly to, to spread the good news. Here in Billericay, here in our, on our own front doorsteps, with our neighbours, with the people we meet in shops, wherever it is, a taxi driver, whoever we happen to be spending time with, we can drop in something about our church, about our community, about why we, why we do what we do every Sunday morning, why we pick up our Bibles every day, why we pray, what God is. There are these conversations just waiting to be had. There is good news waiting to be shared. There's invitations just waiting to be given. And there are people just waiting to be asked. That's the challenge for us. When Paul says to live is Christ, well for us, if to live is Christ is a, is a truth for us, then, then we can do more than we're doing. We can be bolder. We can be braver. That is a challenge. That is not easy. Because we do live in, in a world where People don't want to know. But there's also a large number of people who simply don't know how to find out. Let's not be ashamed of our faith. Let's take every opportunity. Let's make sure that the people that have to see us, the prison guards, whether they're, whether they're co-workers, whether they're carers, whether they're friends, family, neighbours, whoever, let's make sure that the people that, that we have a, as a captive audience, normally we just talk about the weather, Let's start talking about Jesus. Let's start talking about faith, about church. Let's start being in, in, intentional about inviting people. Come along. Come along. You don't think you like it? Well, you don't know until you try it. Come along once. Let's patience because we never know what God's going to do with an opportunity. Evangelism is a, it's a difficult thing because we can, we can beat ourselves up about not, not being successful. Telling people and then having it thrown back in our face and feeling a bit stupid. It's a fear that we all share. But actually, it's not about the results. It's about giving the opportunity. Saying, Lord, I'm going I'm to give an opportunity here for you to, to, to work your magic, for your spirit to enter this person, for you to, 
to do something here and if it's thrown back in my face, then fine. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to work. It's not about us, it's about God. We're working for him because to live is Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. We're going to come shortly and share communion together. But let's just take a just take a couple of moments to consider the week ahead. Consider what what you've got going on tomorrow or this afternoon maybe or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever and identify a time when you're going to be with someone who you could share the gospel with. Someone who you could just drop in a statement about something good the church has done or share a testimony with in whatever whatever it is whatever you feel comfortable with how could you how could you how can you share Jesus with someone this week who's that going to be let's be intentional let's try and just get someone in our mind and then let's do it this week as I haven't counted say there's 30 people here that's potentially 30 people this week who wouldn't hear anything about the church or about Jesus. We can can change the lives of 30 people this week. That's incredible. That's massive. We can give God an opportunity to work in the lives of 30 people. That's an opportunity. To live is Christ. Let's make that a reality. Before we come... and share together at the communion table. Let's just take a minute and then I'll close in prayer. And then I'm going to ask Trevor to come up and, and play as we prepare ourselves for communion. Heavenly Father, only you know what lies in store for us this week. Only you know what's around the corner, the challenges and the, the problems that we might encounter. But Father, we pray that as we reflect on Paul's letter written from a prison cell to that fledgling church in Philippi, as we reflect on the, the constant reminder to rejoice, to give thanks always, to pray continually. Father, we, we pray that you will make that attitude our attitude. We pray, Lord, that for us it will become a reality that to live is Christ, that you define our, our entire existence, our entire being. Father, help us to identify a time this week when we can, we can start. We can start reaching out. We can start taking those bold steps. Father, we pray that when we speak to people about, about our church, about our God, we won't face ridicule. But Lord, surprise us. 
surprise us. Maybe this week that, that's going to be the, the few drops that sustain, sustain us in the harsh environment. Give us encouragement, Lord. But help us to remember, Lord, that whatever the results of, of telling people about you, it can never be a bad thing. If we're planting seeds that won't germinate for another 20 or 30 years, we might never see the results of that. But, Father, help us to remember that it, it's not about us. It's about you. And you've called us to do your work. So as we seek to, as we seek to carry out that work, Lord, be with us. Protect us, bless us and help us to maintain an attitude of positivity, an attitude of determination to spread your word, to have pride in the name of Jesus, to have pride in the church, to have pride in in being part of, of the body of Christ. Father, we believe, we've sung today, we believe in you, in the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that you'll turn that belief into positive actions. May we be intentional in the way that we spread your word. And we pray, Lord, that you will add to our number, not for our glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name, Amen.